Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. But um, Here we go. I'm wearing my Jonah shirt. Um, those of you that can see, uh, there is no proof that it wasn't a narwhal. You know, so all it says is a big fish. This is a big fish. Thank you, Hancocks, for my Jonah shirt. Appreciate it. Um, so we pick up this week, and uh, we've spoken about the theme uh, that Keller picks out with regards to Jonah, where he says that Jonah goes down to Joppa, then he goes down into the bottom of the ship, and then he goes down into the bottom of the ocean into the belly of the big fish. And now we begin to see the story of Jonah beginning to arise. And so we pick up the story of Jonah in Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, and we're going to be reading out of the New King James Version. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And then he cried out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth, and from the, great, from the greatest to the least of them. When I, I hear a story like that, I have a, a lot of questions. One of the things that my girls really dislike about it when I watch a movie is there's, a, there's this website called Hollywood Fact or Fiction. Um, and so as we're watching a movie, like we watched Ford vs. Ferrari the other, the other night, an amazing movie, you should watch it. Um, and during the middle of the movie, I'm scrolling down to see whether these things actually happened. Like, you know, did Henry Ford actually sit in the car and almost wet himself when the guy took him around the track? Did those things actually happen? I have similar questions when it comes to Jonah. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I, I probably have questions that maybe some of you don't have. Like the question that I have is, I know that Nineveh is not a port city. I know it's nowhere near the ocean. So when it says that the fish vomited Jonah onto dry land, I'm like, how, how did he get there? Did, did he walk for three days? What happened? The other question I have is probably a little more gory. It's like a, a scene from The Walking Dead. Like, I want to know what Jonah looked like. Like, did the stomach acid inside the fish start to kind of eat into his flesh? Did he look something like one of those guys on The Walking Dead? You know, it's looking like this when he's walking. Which way is Nineveh? You know, is Nineveh that way? And he's, he's walking in that direction. Now, we, we know uh, the scripture uses the word vomit. It's not throw out. It's, it is the word vomit. And even the word vomit, when I say the word vomit enough times, if I say the word vomit, some of you are feeling like, please, will you stop saying that word? The, the word vomit, the smell of vomit, what vomit looks like. You, you, I mean, even now, people are like starting to gag. Um, we, uh, we have this tradition. We watch Home Alone on, and, and Christmas. And it's only been until very recently that Fallon has been able to watch Home Alone without running to the bathroom because there's a scene in Home Alone where the young child vomits all over the place. And, and Fallon is like... <laughs> The question I'm asking, which you're probably asking, is why are we talking about vomit? 
But I think part of it is because those of us that have young children will know that there is a stench to vomit that can last weeks. And it doesn't matter how well you clean, there is always the sense, and you never know, is this in my mind? Like, is there really a smell there? Or am I imagining things? Or is it really there and I need to, and I need to clean? And one of the things that we mentioned last week that Ali brought up is that um, the Bible describes our message as a smell, as an aroma. And one of the things that I'm convinced of and, um, is that there was a stench to Jonah when he was walking to Nineveh. I don't know how you could be in the belly of a fish for three days and come out smelling all minty fresh. I, I, I don't think it's possible. But one of the things I want to talk about this morning is the idea that as we see in Jonah, Jonah heard the voice of God again, and we've all heard the voice of God, that there's something about us that has a smell. There's something about our message that has a smell and that God has already gone before us in all of that. It says in, the, um, in, in verse 10 that Jonah heard the voice of God again. God's voice doesn't say to him, now, Jonah, have you learned your lesson? Jonah, I'm sorry you had to go through that. That was difficult. You know what? I've, I've changed my mind. You've shown that you're repentant. Don't worry about it. I'll send another prophet who's cleaner, and he'll go and he'll preach this message. No, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, telling him exactly what he told him the first time. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I will tell you. I think it's telling that Jonah didn't say yes. I think it's telling that it say, he said, so he arose. I think there's a sense, and sometimes in our lives, where God is reminding us, Nick, I've told you this before, and I'm telling you again, there is a sense of like, okay, I'll do it. We know that Jonah wasn't super excited about going, but we know at least that this time he was obedient. He was disorientated. He was smelly. And now he has to head to Nineveh. Jonah is in good company. We've said this before. He is weak. He is selfish. He is arrogant. He's disobedient. But also, when we know the story of Jesus and his disciples, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he stood in front of his disciples, and Matthew 28, 17 says, and they worshipped him. And this is one of my favorite texts. They worshipped him and some doubted. While they were worshiping Jesus, the risen Christ is standing in front of them. And it says they worshiped and some doubted. And so Jesus said, okay, if you doubt, don't worry about it. Just hang around here and wait until you're certain that what you're seeing is the reality. Then you can go and tell other people. No, that's not what he said. Verse 17 says, and some doubted. And then Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them. And lo, I am with you. I don't know why I use the word lo. It's a very kind of King James word. But I am with you to the end of the age. And, and we know that the whole world was transformed because those who doubted chose to believe God and say, we will go and proclaim the message that you have told us to proclaim. 
Every one of us that is a Christ follower has a mandate. Every one of us has heard the voice of God. Every one of us will continue to hear the voice of God again and again say these things. Go in the authority that I, Jesus, exercised when I was on this earth. Make disciples, followers, apprentices of the way of Jesus because I am with you. Well, Nick, if that's true, if all those things are true, and Jesus is saying all authority is, is, is in me and I am giving you that authority, then why are we not seeing the kind of success that it seems that Jonah saw when he went there and preached an eight-word sermon and the whole city seems to be transformed? Well, that's where the vomit comes in. I think the reason why we're not seeing some of the success that maybe we saw is because, because we stink. There's a reality to the fact that our lives don't necessarily line up with our message. We have been vomited on the shores of mission, and that stink is proof that in the midst of the vileness of our sin, God's tenacious love has rescued us. Our imperfection is something that actually sets off this odor. The, the reason why maybe we're not seeing people come to faith in the way that, um, that Jonas saw the Ninevites come to faith is because our, our lives stink. Our actions stink. It uh, was about seven years ago. Fal and I were talking about this um, yesterday. And um, I was a, an assistant coach at that time for uh, Fallon's softball team. And everyone knew that I was a pastor. In fact, at the opening day of the softball thing, they would have the professional prayer come up and, and pray and, you know, and, uh, and open the season. And uh, this was fall ball. And those of you who don't know fall ball is in the summer. I uh, don't know why they do it because in, in California it's incredibly hot. And so it was a double header. And Fallon had just started learning how to play catcher. So we had all this catcher's equipment that we were dragging around. It was the end of the day, and I was, I was not in the greatest mood because we had lost both the games. And um, we had parked way down um, at the end of the field. So as we walked in, as, as we drove in, um, we parked where we thought we'd be able to gain access to the field, but there was this fence. And so we had to walk all the way up to the top of the school and come back. It was the end of the day, and I was, I was pretty done. And I said to, uh, to Fallon, come here. And I, I, I got Fallon and I lifted her over. The fence was probably about as high as this fence was. So I, I got Fallon, I lifted her over. I got her little friend, Emma, and I lifted her over. And I lifted the, the huge catcher's um, uh, equipment bag and everything. And as I was about to jump over, someone came up to me and said, excuse me, um, you can't jump over that fence. So... I said, of course, absolutely, I know. So I, I sat there for about a millisecond and I said, really? Watch. And I jumped over the fence. That was, the day, that was when I could just jump over that fence. I, I thought to myself, I probably couldn't do that right now. We got into the car, we drove away, and I wasn't feeling really bad about what I'd done until I heard Fallon and her friends say, did you see your dad? That was so cool. Did you see the way that he just said, well, watch, and just jumped over the fence? And I was like, oh my goodness, what have I done? So I pull the car over and I say, girls, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. What, what I did was not cool. What I did was wrong. Um, and I never should have treated that person that way. They were just 
living up to, well, they, they were trying to just enforce those rules, <laughs> you know. Look, I mean, at the time, I really meant it. Now that I think about it, I'm like, who cares if you jump? Anyway, no. The issue was is that my actions were pretty odorous in that sense. I don't know whether she knew I was a pastor. I don't know if she knew whether I was a Christ follower, but the reality is that my, line didn't, my life didn't match up. And we see this in the story of Jonah. There, there are some obvious things where Jonah's life doesn't match up in a very simple way. He, just, he did not do what God asked him to do. There's, there's a very simple kind of cause and effect. Jonah do this? No. Okay, well, you're not in line with the gospel if you don't do those things. But also part of the reason that there's this odor around us is because not only are our actions those that stink a little, but our heart attitudes also stink. And so listen, where Jonah in in verse 8 says, those who regard worthless idols forsake the mercy that could be theirs. And we know through the story of Jonah, we'll cover that in in chapter 4, there's still this sense of superiority in Jonah about his life, his sin, and the sin of the Ninevites. Because he's saying, in the, in, in, when he's in the belly of the fish, he's saying, God, yes, I know that those that have idols, those Ninevites that have idols, because we, we serve Yahweh, we don't have idols, forfeit the mercy that could be theirs. And I think sometimes what happens is, is that the reason that we stink is because our life doesn't match up and our hearts don't match up. And we covered that in chapter 1 when we, thought, when we talked about who our Ninevites are. The second challenge that we have when we don't see huge cities turning around is that our message also has a scent. And there are, there are four kind of ingredients to this very powerful scent. And the first is that no one is innocent, that we are all active rebels. And our message stinks because it's an unpopular one. Our message is there is a king and you are not it. Philip Reef, in his book, The Triumph of the Therapeutic, states that our culture has convinced us that our problem is lack of self-esteem, that we live with too much shame and self-recrimination. There is no moral standard because all of the moral standards that we set up are culturally and socially constructed. No one has the right to make you feel guilty. You are the one that determines what is right and what is wrong. And in this cultural context, the Bible's persistent message Um, that we are all guilty sinners comes across as oppressive. It even comes across as evil and dangerous. Now, the problem is the good news of the gospel makes no sense if there isn't bad news. And so what we've done is we've said that uh, uh, within the culture that we're in, this message seems unnecessary at best, insulting or offensive. Our culture rejects or denies that there is anything wrong with me, my choices, or my worldview. And yet, there is this gnawing sense of guilt and shame. Now, guilt is feeling bad about something that you've done. Shame is feeling bad about who you are. And so I understand this. If, if we deny that there's any sense of right or wrong, that my choices or worldview don't matter, that I get to determine that, I understand why we're doing that. Because we want to push guilt away. We want to push shame away. That makes perfect sense. Because, because God created human beings to flourish, and we don't flourish when we are burdened with guilt and shame. The problem is our denial of guilt and shame doesn't deal with it. It just quietens There's still the roar in our soul, the echoes of shame and guilt that cannot be removed without a sacrifice. By defining our own standards of morality 
and trying to obliterate the concept of guilt and shame. And we can, within the context of our culture, we can do that. I'm sure there's people that you've met that you're like, how can you not feel shame or guilt about the way in which you're living your life or, or the choices that you're making? Now, denial can kind of help us kind of turn down that volume. The problem is denial does not help with the deeper questions that humanity is asking, the thirst for significance and meaning. And so I deny that there's any kind of standard but I still haven't dealt with the gnawing echo in my soul that says, why am I here? And is there any purpose for my life? The second reason that our message has the scent is that Packer reminds us that, that we are spiritually impotent. In other words, there is nothing that we can do about our circumstances. We are powerless. He says we cannot repair, we cannot cleanse or make ourselves better. We are spiritually dead, and only Jesus can make us alive. That, that quote that Sean mentioned last week, is Jesus did not come to find those that were lost, to um, help those that were lazy. He came to raise the dead. So we've exchanged, in this context, we, we try to remind ourselves, or, or, or we're saying, okay, I understand that denial is not the right response, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to access the technology of morality. And so what I'm going to do in order to make myself feel better with regards to this sense of guilt and shame that rests on me and this lack of significance and meaning in my life is I'm going to work hard. Remember, I'm just going to row harder in this boat. I'm, I'm going to throw the cargo out. I, I don't think this thing is helping me. I'm going to throw that out and, and row harder. So we've exchanged, in this context, we've exchanged denial for neurosis. And, and instead of like, everything's fine, whatever, we're like, okay, I've got to do this. I've got to be a good person. I've got to attend church. I've got to do all of these things that make God twist his arm so that he will be pleased with me. That is so anti-gospel. We've accepted that we're sinful rebels, but we weary ourselves by trying to prove ourselves to God that we are worthy sons and daughters, we end up tired and bitter or proud and self-righteous, just like Jonah. Now, we participate in good works, and we covered this when I spoke about the idea of common grace, that there are people that can participate in good works, and those things are good, but ultimately what happens is we participate in good works, and there are people whose lives have not been transformed by the grace of God, participate in good works, and that helps us, that helps our community, but are still spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 verse 8 to 10 in the New Living Translation, which is a paraphrased translation, reminds us that we can't do anything in order to save ourselves. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take any credit for this. This is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that He planned for us to do. And one of those good things is to go with the message that nothing you can do will make God love you more or make God love you less. It is simply the belief in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that makes you acceptable to him. 
A third reason why our message stinks is because there's, a, there's this exclusivity about it. Only God can save. There is only one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. Jonah begins to praise God before the big fish starts heaving. His stubbornness, even Jonah's stubbornness, recognizes that God is the one that is able to bring salvation. In verse 6 Jonah, uh, of chapter 2, he says, I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. You have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. He ends, and the last thing he says, before the fish vomits him out, salvation belongs to, originates in, and is directed by the Lord. Like Sean reminded us last week, Yeshua is of Yahweh. The promise of Jesus, even in that phrase, salvation means Yeshua, or can, it can be translated yes, let Yeshua. In, in a sense, what he's saying is Jesus is of God. That was Jesus' message. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The thrust of Jonah, the Old Testament, in fact, the whole Bible, is that salvation is found only in and by and for the glory of Jesus. There is no other way. That's why our message has this aroma. Lastly, our message has a very strong aroma, and this is a difficult one for people to grasp. There is no one outside of the grace of God. There is no person, there is no act that will ever be heinous enough to separate you from God's love. And then we, we all say amen when it relates to us. We all say, thank God. I mean, even now, there are things that you're thinking about. We're like, God, even that? Even that? Can you forgive me of that? And God says, yes. Everything is covered by the blood of Jesus. Even things that nobody knows about, even things that your wife doesn't know about, are covered by the blood of Jesus through the door of repentance and grace. Now, that is a welcoming message for us. But if harm has been perpetrated against us, that is something that is very difficult to apply. I remember chatting with a young girl who had been badly treated. And she asked the question, are you telling me that my abuser can be forgiven? What is the truth of that message? The truth is nothing, no work of evil or darkness is too great for God to forgive. That's a difficult thing for us to imagine. Now we understand why Jonah ran away. God is saying to Jonah, I want you to go to the people that are torturing your people. I want you to go to the people that are killing your people. I want you to go to the people that are enslaving your people, and I want you to preach to them. When I was in Zimbabwe, I was born in Zimbabwe. Some of you will know that Zimbabwe went through a civil war, and there were two groups of fighters in the late 70s. One were the guerrilla fighters, and the other one was a special unit called the Selyus Scouts. And the interesting thing about the Selyu Scouts is that they weren't predominantly white. They were a mixed group of scouts. And their job 
uh, was to go into Zimbabwe and to the surrounding neighborhood countries um, and into these anti-terrorist insurgents. And when they would go in, as they would go, and they would find these terrorist camps, and they would kill the terrorists. I was in Zimbabwe. We were um, in Bulawayo, and uh, I remember this guy called Samson and, uh, and this other man whose name I won't mention. And Samson looks at him and recognizes him from the Bush War. Now they've both become Christians. And he recognizes him from being part of the Salu Scouts. Samson was part of the guerrilla fighters. By the grace of God, both of them have come to faith. By God's grace, I have no idea what they have asked for forgiveness of. But let me tell you, I can imagine it was a lot. And he looks at him and he says this to him. Man, if you were this fat when we were fighting that guerrilla war, I would have you a long time ago. And I sat there. It takes a lot to make me speechless, you know. But I sat there and I was like, what was that? And I recognized in that moment, and we talked about it later with Samson, there is a sense in which he knew what God had forgiven him for. And he could not withhold that level of forgiveness to someone that had wronged him and his people. Now, guys, I know that this is difficult. I know that some of you are dealing with deep pain with people that refuse to admit that they've hurt you and refuse to even ask for forgiveness. But what I'm saying is that we cannot call out justice for others and mercy for ourselves. And we cannot be the kinds of Jonas that say, God, thank you for the mercy that you showed me by even though I'm running away, you rescued me and you gave me a second chance. We cannot be the people that say, only I deserve a second chance. And that's why our message is difficult. So what do we do? Well, what we do is we try and disguise the smell of this message. So we know that there are some odorous kind of past this message, so, so we disguise it. Now, when I was in, uh, in high school, we would have PE, and it would always be the sixth or fifth period. And we would do proper PE, and so there would be a sense of aroma that would come through the locker room. Now, there were showers there, but what most of the guys did was they would carry a bottle of deodorant, a can of deodorant, and instead of showering, they would literally put on their clothes, take off their PE clothes, put on their clothes, and just completely dominate this uh, Think Axe body spray, right? So imagine how, Axe, how bad Axe body spray smells anyway, even if there isn't this pungent, sour odor of kind of teenage pubescent excitement, right? I always used to feel sorry for my sixth grade English teacher. And you'd walk in the class and she'd be like, whoa, you know? Or, or you walk into a bathroom and you smell this kind of mixture of flowers and not flowers, you know? And you're like, I think I would rather have the one smell than have to deal with like this attack on my senses. Like what is actually happening here? It smells like, it smells like someone did their business in a meadow. That's what it smells like, you know? And the problem is that we are aware of these four things that make it difficult for our message to come across. So, so what we do is we take this deodorant and we just go nuts. And so, depending on our bent, 
We're like, I know what's going to make this message even better. Um, I'm going to emphasize love because love wins. And God is a God of love. And for God so loved the world that he sent his son. And I'm going to emphasize love. Well, you know what? We've tried them. That hasn't worked. I'm going to keep telling people that they are wicked, depraved, and deserving of death. The fact that you breathe this morning is a gift of God, and you should recognize that. What is the truth? That God is the ultimate God of justice and mercy. That I am more sinful than I could ever imagine and more love than I could dare believe. That is the truth. That's the purity of the gospel. And depending on my bent, whether I'm more justice bent or whether I'm more mercy bent, we take that deodorant and we just spray it around. And then we tell this message to people and they're just confused. They're like, it smells like that meadow that you were talking about. There's, there's something good here and there's something that I don't really understand. And so we say, love wins. Yes, it does. Not in the way that you expect it to. Justice will prevail. Yes, it does. But not in the way that you expect it to. That's what was so difficult for people to understand about the sacrifice of Jesus. The kingdom will come. Yes, but not the way that you expect it to. The king is here, but not the way in which you expected him to be here. The world will be turned upside down, but not the way that you expected it to be. Jonah was not espousing a message of mercy. The mercy that he had just experienced. We look at Jonah's sermon, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I think maybe he was on the justice side. It's my guess. Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, he says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And during those times when when armies would win battles, there was this triumphal procession and there was incense that would be burned during this triumphal procession. That's what he's talking about. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God amongst those who are being saved and amongst those who are perishing. What he's saying is there is one aroma, but there are two types of people. For the one the fragrance from death to death to another, the fragrance of life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? We need to embrace the stench. The same aroma has different results. Jonah's task, our task, is to preach. God is the one who saves. Our task is not to try and mask the scent of the pure gospel with whatever we think is going to make it more appealing to others. That's not our task. We need to recognize that the gospel is for the weak and defeated, like Jonah was, but it's also for the strong and the mighty, or those who think they're strong and mighty, like the Ninevites. In the context of our culture, there's the sense of like, what do I need God for? I've got everything that I need. My life is kind of working out just the way that... that, um, that I thought I would. I'm not necessarily participating in any deep, dark sins. God is pursuing the weak and the powerless as much as he is pursuing the strong and the mighty. The question I want to ask you is, how do you see yourself in this? Maybe as a seeker, as, as someone that is 
come here and, and you're wondering about this message of Jesus, do you see yourself as someone that needs to be rescued? Or do you see yourself as someone like the Ninevites? The, the superpower of the day, strong and mighty. The gospel is for both. So if I stink and my message stinks, then what's the point? Then why bother at all? Well, we bother because God prepares the way. Now, historians tell us that Nineveh was ripe for transformation because the arrogance that is chronicled in the writings of their rulers was lessened by some very interesting things that happened just before Jonah was there. Drought, famine, an earthquake, and a total eclipse had made the Ninevites and prepared the hearts of the Ninevites to be open to a message of judgment and grace. So when Jonah came, there wasn't the sense of like, oh, we're strong and mighty, we know everything. Hang on, we've experienced a couple of things that'll maybe make us a little more open to this message. And friends, I want to say that maybe last year was our culture's earthquake, famine, and total eclipse. Maybe COVID is God's way of preparing people to look beyond. And to actually say, man, I am afraid. I am anxious. The concept of death has now... Uh, I was having a conversation with, with Karin the other night. I'm like, the most surprising thing about this last year is it seems that the idea that we're going to die is like a new idea. Like, but, but actually, it could be God's preparation to help people realize that your life is a vapor. You can be here today and gone tomorrow. That just like the Ninevites were prepared for this message by an earthquake and a total eclipse and a drought, maybe what COVID has done is prepared the people in our spheres of influence to hear this message and not react to the things that make it difficult to hear. We have a message of hope and peace. We have a message of reconciliation. God is the one who saves. Our job is to spread the fragrance our job is not to worry how that fragrance is received. Now, let me say this as, as a caveat. We need to make sure that if there's a, a pungent response to the message, that it's not about our behavior. Now, Paul says that our message is foolishness to some. Paul says that in later places that it is offensive to some. Can we make sure that we aren't foolish? Can we make sure that we aren't offensive? Our message is offensive enough. We don't need some idiot jumping over a fence to prove that he's a man. We don't need that. It doesn't help. Our sin or our failure is actually a chance for us to model the gospel through repentance. I'm not proud of what I did, but it did give me an opportunity to repent to my daughter and her friend. What would it look like if at work you went to your boss and you said to her, I'm sorry about the level of my work. It has not been the kind of thing that I'm proud of. I'm sorry about the way that I behaved. I'm sorry that this report wasn't on time. As someone that follows Jesus, I should do better, and I will do better. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine if we woke up and we said, God, I want to honor your message by the way in which I live. We are all called to be rebel. Patrick, you can come up. 
we're all called to be rebel preachers. And some of you, the idea of, of being a rebel is like a badge of honor. You know, for me, if someone calls me a rebel, you know, Priscilla apologized to me for calling me a rebel uh, the other day, thinking it might be offensive. And I was like, no, I, I'm like, number one, it's true. Um, I'm working on that. Um, but I believe the Spirit is calling us to be rebel preachers. Not rebel preachers in the sense that we're rebelling against God, but rebel preachers in the way in which we rebel against the current of our culture. And the way in which we live counterculture, the way that we continue to proclaim this message of justice and mercy. I want to ask these questions as we land. How are we like Jonah? Maybe we're like Jonah in the sense that we don't want to accept the mission that God has given us. God, it's awkward. It's, it's costly. It's unfair. I sometimes battle with just how scandalous your grace is. Or I sometimes battle with the fact that actually you will come to judge the living and the dead. But the truth is, like Jonah, we have all been pursued. We've been pursued by the relentless love of God. And the fact that we stand in his affection has nothing to do with our performance. We are all flawed messengers telling the story of a flawless Savior and King. And we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day so that we can preach it in our city. Arise, mercy comments. Let's revel in the grace and mercy of our God. Arise, mercy commons. Let's go to Fullerton, that great city, and proclaim to it a message of grace and mercy, peace and purpose in our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.